Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City, Gridiron, and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you. And sometimes when you have an opportunity to do a podcast, you just got to jump on the microphone and do a podcast. And that's what's happening today, because we have a chance to talk to the front man of Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Corgan. He is going to be by here in just a few minutes He's got a new album coming out. The Pumpkins have a new album coming out. I, I want to talk to Billy about the music of Smashing Pumpkins and everything that he meant to my generation of people. And of course, the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance. Billy's the owner and president, and they've got an event coming up in Highland Park here in just a couple days. We will talk to him about that. And of course, get into some Chicago sports with him. A huge Cubs fan, Bears fan. We will talk about it all with Billy coming up here in a few minutes but before we do let's dive into a little chicago bears talk that's been very quiet since the last podcast really no news at all for the chicago bears but it'll be uh really getting busy here in the next few weeks here as we start hearing some rumblings and rumors about what may be happening with the nfl draft obviously the chicago bears picking ninth and look I want to kind of go over my thoughts here with, with the ninth pick here because I am really settling in, in in the direction these Chicago Bears need to go. And for me, this is with the assumption that Jalen Carter is off the board. And I haven't decided, I haven't made an opinion yet on Jalen Carter as I consider to, to think about what the Chicago Bears do. If Jalen Carter is available at nine, should Ryan Poles jump and, and and make that jump? And we'll talk about that as we get closer to the NFL draft on a future podcast. But, you know, let, let, let's talk about the offensive line here because Ryan Poles has made a couple of decisions here in the offseason. The, the one being right at the top here about this is Mike McGlinchey and not paying McGlinchey the guarantee that he was able to get. So he goes to the Denver Broncos, not the Chicago Bears. I think a lot of people thought McGlinchey was going to end up in Chicago. A lot of experts and insiders really felt that the Bears had the inside track. But the bottom line is the Bears didn't want to pay McGlinchey's guarantee. It was basically two years versus three years. I mean, if you basically boil it down, that, that the Broncos guaranteed him three years on that, that deal, and the Bears were basically only going to guarantee, guarantee him two, which I understand the concerns. Not like McGlinchey is, is, is a perfect ball of health every, every year. So I, I understand the concerns. But when you make that decision, you make a monstrous decision on impacting your entire offseason and, and what you can do. And, and I understand that the Bears fans, they, they, JSN is a name that I see on Twitter a lot. Bears fans, Bears experts, Bears, you know, content makers, they want JSN. They are pounding the table. You know, let's get one of Justin's wide receivers from Ohio State. Let's get him in here and let's get him, you know, on this roster and, and catching touchdown passes from Justin Fields. And I get the sediment. I, I like the sediment. And if the Bears take him, I'm not going to be furious. You're not going to be hearing my Vellis Jones rants that, that you had last year. I won't be furious with the selection, but I... I just can't see Ryan Poles do that. And, and here's how I'm going to say it. Because if Ryan Poles makes that draft pick, what he has done is basically invested three first-round picks in, you know, the equivalent of three first-round picks into that position in eight months. And I just can't see him doing that. And what I mean by investing first-round picks... So Chase Claypool, right? He chased for Chase Claypool. It's a second round pick. But what happens? The Bears have the number one pick. 
which because of the Dolphins forfeit is the 32nd pick in the draft. So in essence, that Chase Claypool, it's the last pick of the first round, but the Chase Claypool, in essence, they traded him for the 32nd pick in the draft. That is a first round value pick, even if it is the first pick of the second round. Now, you move forward, JSN, that's pretty straightforward. They take him at nine. That is another first round pick invested in to the wide receiver position and DJ Moore. And look, I am 100%. This is not a criticism of the DJ Moore trade. I want to make sure that's clear. DJ Moore was a fantastic move. I am thrilled that Ryan Poles figured out how to get him. Without question, it's the best move. I don't care what they draft at nine. It is the best move he made of the offseason, getting DJ Moore as a part of that package. That was clutch. That was great work from Ryan Poles. Now, but with that move, what he agreed to do is that additional first-round pick became a second-round pick. He got the, you got the one next year, but that one became a first-round to a second-round pick. So that downgrade, that value of, of going from the first round to the second round is basically a late first-round pick. So that, that was a value of another first-round pick invested to get DJ Moore, agreeing to the downgrade from that additional first-rounder to a second-rounder. So he has traded away the value or of two first-round picks right now to get DJ Moore and Chase Claypool. So if he does that again to do JSN at nine, that's three. I just can't see him with the capital you have and the resources you have going back into the wide receiver well again. I'd like him to draft another wide receiver. If it happened in that 53 to 64 range, I wouldn't hate it. Depends on who they take. But I, I think there's going to be a day three wide receiver taken by Ryan Poles. I really do. But I just can't see him using the value of the ninth pick to take another wide receiver. And, and I don't think he should either. Like I said, I won't hate the pick because I really like the player. But you just can't do that when, when you are Ryan Poles and you have talked about how you think that a team should be built in the trenches and outward from there. And you've done very little, very little at this point to do anything about the trenches. I mean, I understand the Braxton Jones pick worked out really well, and we'll see where his ceiling is at this point as he continues to grow and develop. But I mean, when you talk about offensive and defensive line and, and his investment right now of Justin Jones and Andrew Billings and, and Demarcus Walker, on the defensive side through two off seasons and on the other side of the ball, really, I mean, Lucas Patrick, if you want to count him, but really just Braxton Jones and Nate Davis at this point, a fifth round pick from an FCS school and, and, and Nate Davis. And I understand that's, that's, that's a solid signing there, but that's all he's done in two off seasons. So he needs to go all in on this offensive line. He, you know, went out and got Chase Claypool because he believed in Justin Fields. You know, whether, whether he, he believed in Fields from the get-go or he wanted Fields to prove himself, regardless of what it was, he said, I need to get him a weapon. He went out there and got Chase Claypool. And I commended it at the time. I talked about how expensive that price was and that I did not like that it became the Bears pick instead of the Ravens pick. Did not like that and obviously still do not like that. I've talked about how those 22 picks now between Clay, the 31 and 53 and the impact, the type of difference in the player you can get there. Not a fan of that, but I did like that Paul said, you know what, Justin Fields needs help. I'm going to go out and get him some. I can get him Chase Claypool. So I appreciate the effort there. I appreciate DJ Moore, even Robert Tanyan. I like that, but he has not invested in the offensive line. And, you know, oh, they got to take BPA at nine. If that's fine, because you know what BPA is going to be at nine? It's going to be an offensive lineman, all right? It's going to be Paris Johnson. That's going to be the BPA at nine. And if somehow Paris Johnson goes before them at nine, then it's going to be probably Broderick Jones. Now, Broderick Jones has not, I noticed this uh, on um, uh, on Twitter, Broderick Jones has not been part of the Bears' visits. So curious if that's going to change here in, in the next few weeks, because I think Jones is the type of guy that pulls would really like and and here's what i will say about peter skaronsky and i keep hearing all oh, local kid local kid local kid he went to northwestern he's not quite a local kid and this is no knock on peter skaronsky but i want to make sure bears fans know that he is a packers fan if your thing is we got to take skaronsky because he's local he's a packers fan so don't sit there and be like oh uh, you know the chicago kid da, da, da. No, no 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 
His grandfather is Bob Skaronsky. Bob Skaronsky was a Green Bay Packer in the 1960s, won Super Bowls on the Green Bay Packers. You know, he was part of that Vince Lombardi era uh, of, of football, and he was, a, you know, a tackle for them. So Peter Skaronsky going in his grandfather's footsteps to the NFL. But Peter Skaronsky is a Packers fan. So I am getting so sick and tired of hearing this. We got to get the local guy, the local guy, the local guy. He is a Packers fan. All right. You want local guy is Lucas Van Ness. I don't think the Bears should take him at nine. You know, you know, if they traded back and he was still there, might be a little bit of a different story. But for me, the Chicago Bears need to go offensive line at nine. I know I did a mock several weeks ago and I put JSN in there because I, you know, that was before I really kind of flushed it out and really again with free agency and all, I kind of expected McGlinchey or someone at right tackle when I did that mock with JSN at nine. You know, the Bears blog, I know Jeff has talked about how he thinks the Bears really like JSN, and I know he's on top of things, but I think that is a things change. They may really like JSN, but at the same time, that was before they had DJ Moore. So he's done his investments into wide receiver at this point. He is not invested in offensive line. I think it is you know, it, it, I don't want to say it's telegraphed at this point, but I think Paris Johnson or Broderick Jones is the pick at, at nine. If they're both available, I think it's going to be Paris Johnson. The Bears have already visited with him. He's got a relationship, a previously existing relationship with Justin Fields. I think they might even have been roommates in college at, at one point. So there's a relationship there. You know, I know they've talked about how Fields is going to be involved. So I think there is a very distinct possibility that Paris Johnson is a Chicago Bear here in a few weeks. Now, as for what they do with the offensive line, Paris Johnson, is he going to be the left tackle or the right tackle? Again, I'm going to leave that up to, to Poles and Eberflus and, and Morgan. They, they they can make that decision. And I get it. You want to say, oh, well, your, your stud has to be at left tackle. That's, I think, a little different. I think left tackle, right tackle has evened out a lot over the last several years. But, you know, if you want to say left tackle is more important, fine. But at the same time, Justin Fields is going to be rolling out constantly and he's going to be rolling out to the right side. You know, that's just going to be the natural way he's going to roll out. Not that he'll never roll out to the left side. Obviously, we've seen him do it already. But the right side is the more natural way for him to move. That'll be happening regularly. Having a right tackle there that can hold a block uh, on a pass block is certainly not a bad thing. So do they move, you know, if Paris Johnson's the guy, do they keep him at left tackle? and move Braxton Jones, a guy who's been left, left tackle here for the last few years and mess with his muscle memory? Or do you sit there and say, well, Paris Johnson has played right guard. He's been on the right side. We think he's going to adapt better if we move him than Braxton. And that's how we're going to do it. So it'll be curious how they would do it. But obviously, they need to pick the guy first. So I, I just want to kind of sit there and really kind of think about this with the Bears fans who are pounding the table for JSN. I get you like the player. I like the player, but when you look at this roster right now, you cannot, cannot, in my opinion, go into this with this offensive line if you infuse, say, a second round, third round type tackle or or center or both at, at that point without investing in a high pick because you just don't have enough talent. As far as I'm concerned, you have three players who are NFL starting caliber players on your offensive line. Nate Davis. Obviously a proven starter. Tevin Jenkins, proven starter, although you got two right guards here. So I guess I think Tev's going to be the one that moves to the left side. And of course, you have Braxton Jones, who earned his stripes last year. So you don't have five NFL starters on the offensive line. Larry Borum is not an NFL starter. Cody Whitehair at this point, in my opinion, is not an NFL starter. Lucas Patrick proved he is not an NFL starter. Alex Leatherwood has proved he is not an NFL starter. You have some guys who can step in. You have some guys who can fill in some holes, but you cannot, any of those guys, you cannot say that is my starter for 17 games. That's, that's our plan. That's a bad plan. I don't think Ryan Poles has that plan, but that's a bad plan. You, you, you know, it, it, it's the way the off season developed. It's, it's what happened. This isn't like a criticism that he should have broken the bank for Mike McGlinchey or gone after McGarry or, or Taylor or any of the other guys. This is the decision he made. Let's see it play out. But because it's the decision he made, I think he leaves himself no choice but to go tackle at nine. And it should be BPA. The only question is, is Jalen Carter there at nine? Because I don't think Jalen Carter gets past the Eagles at 10 if he's there. I think that's, 
I think that's probably a main reason why Jalen Carter is turning down, uh, you know, visits outside the top 10. I think Howie Roseman has basically told Drew Rosenhaus, if he's there, he's ours. And that's the type of guy that, that, that Howie would go for. High talent guy, just get the best talent available. The Eagles have just lost a ton of talent on defense, you know, after, after you know, really having a lot of contracts they just couldn't keep around. So I think Carter's going no later than 10, but he could be there on the board at nine. And if he is, what do the Chicago Bears do? Because the McCaskey family traditionally has not gone for players with character issues. And the last time they did it was when Vic Fangio and John Fox convinced, and and I guess Ryan Pace convinced them to get Ray McDonald from the 49ers who had domestic violence issues and it blew up in their face horribly. And, 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 you know, and they, they got rid of him basically before he, you know, he could do anything in Chicago. So that is going to weigh heavily on McCaskey. McCaskey is going to have to approve the, the drafting of Jalen Carter. He is going to have to be on board with that move. And I just don't know if he's going to do it after Ray McDonald when they don't like drafting guys with character issues. And then you have the Ray McDonald problem. I know that was years ago. I get that. But that is just not something the Chicago Bears and the McCaskey family deal with. So I'm not saying they won't take Jalen Carter at nine if he's there, but that is a big discussion. And I, you know, so they've, they've met with him twice. He's definitely going to be a guy that is going to be considered there, but I just, I don't know if the McCaskies will will allow it. I really don't. And it is going to be a fascinating thing if he's sitting there at nine, but if they decide that Jalen Carter is worth it, if he's there and they punt offensive line around two, maybe you're looking at like a Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse, someone like that. We'll see. But, you know, I know I keep seeing, well, Poles found Braxton Jones in the fifth round, so he's going to find another, you know, gem. You can't just assume that, you know. You know, Ryan, like, you know, I, I understand we want to talk about the things that, that Ryan Poles has done well at this point, and he has found a couple guys. But, like, Ryan Pace found guys, so we, we can't sit there and praise Ryan Poles that he's some magical guy that can always find talent because he found Braxton Jones. That's a great move. I'm not obviously knocking that move. But it's not like Doug Kramer or Zach Thomas were starting, you know. You, they, you know, so let, let's settle down a little and just assume that any offensive lineman Poles takes is going to turn to gold and, and be amazing. When you take a tackle, for the most part, you need to invest a first-round pick in a tackle. You don't take tackles usually in the third or fourth round and expect them to become 10-year starters for your team. All right. Again, Braxton Jones had a hell of a first year and he may be one of those guys. And that's a heck of a job from Ryan Poles. And, you know, the two positions for me, tackle and edge, those are first round investments. You invest later rounds in those. You usually are not going to get the big score. You are not going to find that late round gem at those positions. Usually those have to go first round or really early in the second round. So even by the time the Bears come around there in the late second round, the, the hit rate on those tackles taken at that point has already dropped off significantly from the ones from the first round. So to me, this is really a, a, a no-brainer. I think it needs to be that first-round pick at nine. You're, you, you cannot go into this season expecting whoever they take with those top four picks in the top 64 are all quality starters. You can't make that assumption. The hit rate just isn't there, all right? For every DK Metcalf in the second round, there is an Adam Shaheen. So it's going to happen. The odds that all four of these guys hit is very low. Poles, if he gets three out of the four, that's a heck of a job, you know? But two out of four, that, that, that would just be typical results, right? If Ryan Poles does an average job drafting these top four guys, he's going to get two starters out of the four. That's average. So I, I keep saying, oh, well, Poles is going to have four new starters from these picks. So that's the hope. We'd love to see it. And obviously there's enough holes that he could have some starters come out of this as rookies. But odds are that ninth pick, you know, unless it's it's JSN, who's obviously going to be behind those veterans, that ninth pick is most likely going to start and probably one of those second rounds, third round picks you know, especially if they take a center, I think they could absolutely step in and start. The hit rate on centers in round two is excellent. 
So they take a, a Tipman, someone like that, you know, a, a Wipler, they could absolutely be starting. And, and then, you know, if they take a tackle late in, 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 you know, second round, if they take an edge, a defensive tackle, those guys may not start, you know, hopefully they're ro- rotating in and they're getting good, you know, 30, 40% of the snaps on defense, but they probably won't be starting out of the gate. So they, these are almost going to be depth pieces for 2023. A lot of them, you can't just expect starters. If he, if he got starters out of them, great job, Ryan Poles, but you can't make these assumptions. And and I'm seeing a lot on the, on the Twitter timeline of assumptions like, Oh, well, they're going to have four new starters from these, these picks, maybe five, if they hit one in the fourth round, that's not the case coming out of the gate. Got to slow your roll a little bit with that. So Let's see what happens here. You know, we've got the draft coming up here in a few weeks. But for me, the bottom line is the Chicago Bears need to take a tackle at nine. And I think a tackle and BPA, Ryan Poles can stand up at the podium after the draft and say, we took Paris Johnson. He, you know, and it worked out well. He was the best player available to us. And we're thrilled that he's going to be a part of this offensive line. That's the move. Now, enough with the Chicago Bears, because let's get down to it. Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins joins us next. Bill Zimmerman, Bears Banter. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back into the podcast. I I am excited to do this when this opportunity presented itself. I'm not going to lie. I jumped at the opportunity uh, to talk to one of Chicago's, you know, famed elites, especially in the, the music industry, he is Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins and also the president and owner of NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance. And he joins us to talk about that and a few other things. Billy, Bill Zimmerman, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you. Um, I'm in Nashville recording a new Pumpkins album. We have a new album coming out at the moment. And there's songs on the radio from that album, which is called Autumn, which is just coming out. It's 33 songs. Wow. And then we're recording a new album right now. So that's why I'm in Nashville. All right. Well, let me ask you a little bit of Smashing Pumpkins here before we jump into National Wrestling Alliance. And, you know, when I, you know, I'm a big music fan and I'm probably about 10 years younger than you. So, you know, the 90s is really where I really started honing in on my musical interests and taste. So I, I want to ask you about that. But, you know, I, I think a lot of musicians from what I've read in interviews and whatnot, you know, struggle for that that longevity and being able to continue to write music through, through the years, you know, you have those, those prime writing years and then to continue a, as a band and, and creating music and, and, and that whole process, you know, as, as you stay together and that, you know, that seems to be a struggle for some people. So, so what is it like for you as, as a musician, as you continue, you know, this journey to continue to be able to put out, you know, music that, that resonates with people? Sure. Well, you know, when you become uh, successful when you're young, I'm, we pretty much started when I was about 24, 25, you really hit that other level of success. There's no manual, you know, no one stand, hands you a manual like, hey, this is how you need to behave. And you end up making, honestly, about the same mistakes that everyone seems to make. You know, you get a lot of people around you. There's a lot of, uh, you know, if everybody's saying stuff like you don't need the band and they're they're telling the band members they don't need me and all that stuff that you went through. So, for the band to now be uh, 35 years later, still be writing music, uh, recording new music. Um, we have, you know, I think currently we, I think we have three singles on the charts right now. Um, our new song, which just came out, Spellbinding, was just number one added at Alternative. We have another song called Empires, which is a little harder, heavier song. That's number three, most added at Heavy Rock, Active Rock, which we call it. I mean, it's crazy, right? So to start, to start from nothing to end up, you know, sort of on top of the mountain, blow ourselves up about 15 times, put it all back together and continue Um, to answer the spirit of your question. I mean, really, it's about music. Um, You know, it's easy, just like you see in sports. It's easy to get caught up in a lot of the other stuff, the hype of it all. And at the end of the day, you got to have love for the game. And in music, it's about writing songs that people love and fall in love to and, you know, listen to when their heart's broken and stuff like that. As long as you can do that, they'll, they'll give you a spot on the team. Now, uh, let me think. You said you're talking about your your beginnings of the band, so I'm going to bring you way back. I just want to share a quick uh, quick personal story with you. So this was, I think I was in eighth grade. I think this was April of 1992, and I was excited because I was able to score some tickets to see Guns N' Roses at the Rosemont Horizon. And um, so this was, you know, a few months after Axl Rose had the St. Louis incident. So we're on our way. To the, to the Rosemont Horizon to see this concert. 
And we're finding out, we find out from basically security guards as we're entering the parking lot that the show was canceled because there was a bench ward for Axel and he fled. And the one thing I remember is being in the car and we're seeing the opening act. And this is pre-Siamese Dream, pre-Melancholy Infinite Sadness. The opening act for that show was Smashing Pumpkins. And we love, we loved the band name. We were talking about it on the way in. And that would have been my first opportunity to see you guys. But the show was canceled because Axel didn't want, want to be arrested. And it was a whole big mess. Do, do you remember those shows? I don't remember. I don't know if you were if you were a touring opening actor being Chicago, if you were just opening there, do you, do you remember that, th those shows? Do you remember that incident? Oh yeah. In fact, I just saw, uh, and met Axel for the first time, believe it or not, um, at, at our, at our mutual friend, Lisa Marie Presley's funeral. And we were talking about those shows. Uh, we, we were only opening three of the shows, uh, one in Oklahoma city and two in Chicago at the all state back then the Rosemont horizon. And while you were in the parking lot being told that you couldn't come in, we were on stage sound checking. Oh, wow. And uh, and we were sound checking away because the first show had gone kind of roughly for us. The crowd booed the entire time. Thank you very oh, much, no. Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Chicago land. And um, and uh, their their longtime security guy walked by and kind of did one of these, you know, like, uh, you know, shut it down, uh, throat slash type thing. And, uh, and we were said, well, we were promised to sound check. He said, you can keep sound checking. There's just no concert. You know what I mean? And uh, of course we found out the situation that was going on with the band. So, yeah. So we never got to play that third show. Right. And uh, unfortunately that was the night I was going to stick around because of other issues. I hadn't seen them. And that was the night like yourself, I was going to see them for the first time. Um, and I didn't get a chance to that night either. And, and obviously that was uh, the heady days of GNR 92 um, you know, uh, with the, you know, the entire, uh, you know, uh, uh, original lineup and stuff like that. So, yeah, no, I remember those shows very well. And I certainly remember being booed. You never forget that. And in fact, from the first Chicago show, I have a scar uh, on my face. You can't see it, but I, I fell, <laughs> I fell during the show and cut my face open with my guitar. So I, I bear the, I bear the marks of that show for the rest of my life. Oh man, that's, that's some growing pains right there. Well, you guys obviously got, got over that. Uh, let, let me ask you about being a part of that 90s rock movement, because, I mean, for, for me and a lot of others like me, I mean, that that wave of, of, of rock and roll and the, you know, the grunge and all that with, you know, you guys, Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden, just, I mean, the list goes on and on. It was just, you know, I mean, to me, when, when I look at rock and roll and I know there are always, you know, continuing bands coming and sounds and sounds, you know, you know, cyclical and things will come back, but at least at this point to me, that, that was the last great era of rock and roll and, and you were a part of it and you were one of the leading voices on it. Does, does, how much does that matter to you as a musician that you were able to resonate with so many people in such a great era? Well, I, I'm, I'm a student of history and uh, I was aware at the time um, that what was happening, uh, and even if you want to take us out of the equation, that what was happening was very special. It was very akin to what went on in the mid 60s with the great, you know, bands that came out of San Francisco and New York and Los Angeles. So I was pretty aware it was a special time and I knew it wouldn't last because historically those things don't tend to last. So I really tried to make the most of the opportunity. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact why we're still a, a huge and successful band today because of the work that we did um, back then. But let me tell you, um, I've seen something probably in the last couple of years that tells me there's another great rock and roll moment coming. And I'll give you a perfect example. We just did a festival in uh, Mexico City called The World is a Vampire. Uh, we also had the NWA wrestling there, 30,000 people. We had a lot of great wow. young bands on the bill, uh, Turnstile and uh, uh, Death Heaven, for example. But all the young Mexican bands that we had on the bill, they were all playing hard rock, what, what a common fan would recognize almost like a grunge style. And I talked to some of the musicians and they said, every band down here right now is playing this style. So I've seen indications, not just in Mexico, but in America and, of course, overseas. I've seen indications that kids are, I guess what I would say to be simple about it is when you feel rebellious, which many young people do about the state of the world, much like we did it in, in our generation, the guitar is a pretty good thing to reach for to kind of make that point. Um, so I feel like people are, are coming and cycling back to the guitar, guitar. And don't forget, even one of the biggest pop stars in the world right now, Machine Gun Kelly, who started basically as a rapper, he ended up kind of going towards rock and has had a lot of success. So I think there's there's something happening. And sometimes it's hard to see unless you're kind of in it. 
But don't gotcha. be surprised in the next three, four, five years, you might see another total explosion of young uh, rock bands. I, I would I would love to see it. Last musical one for you, then I want to really dive into the wrestling. You know, I, I'm curious how you feel about this, you know, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think a lot of musicians feel, uh, you know, differently about it and the, the process and how it all goes down. I mean, you guys are 100% a Hall of Fame band to me. You know, I, I know it, it just seems odd year after year that, you know, certain bands just get in right away and other ones have to have to wait a long time. Is that something that 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 really that that matters to you that, that, that you hope for? Or is that with it? If you know, if or when it happens is when it happens. Sure. Well, I think we've been eligible somewhere in the neighborhood of about seven, eight years, something yeah. like that. So every year now, you know, it, it's become a perennial question because uh, humbly so people like to think of us and say we don't understand yeah, why you're not why you're not in. Um, I've reached a point now where have, having answered this question, and I'm not offended by the question, by the way, but having answered this question, I've basically taken one of two positions, which is either I'm going to say what I really feel or I'm just not going to talk about it. So I, right now I'm in the not going to talk about it camp because honestly, there's no good answer because I think. Uh, let me say this. Everybody who gets in deserves to be in. You know sure. what I mean? So it's that it's a weird thing. And you see it, of course, with the Baseball Hall of Fame. There's a lot of contention. Of course, we all remember as Chicagoans, uh, you know, the, the total disgrace of not putting Ron Santo in the Hall of Fame when he was alive. And year after year, we were told as Cubs fans, well, it's because they didn't like the way he played or. Uh, and it's just unbelievable. Uh, so, you know, you can do the math there. It's 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 a it's a difficult situation. But look, at the end of the day, the heat around it, to use a wrestling world uh, word, is is a compliment, which is people believe that we deserve to be uh, there someday. So uh, I just leave it there. Well, you, you 100% do, but I, I will jump off it. And let's let's jump into the NWA because I, I, I'm excited to talk wrestling with you. NWA 312 in Chicago in Highland Park coming up April 7th, nwatix.com and pay-per-view available there. So I, I'm excited to talk about this. I'm also excited, and before we kind of dive into wrestling, kind of the, the serious component that, that 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 this is also going out to help the Highland Park community, and, and in response to the shooting and some of the things that, that that's gone through there, and you know, it, it again it just continues to be just you know horrible that these type of things continue to happen in this country. But but specifically, you guys are are, are doing you're doing something here. To, to, to help out the community. And, and, and I think that, that that's a great thing. So, so kind of talk about, you know, sure. How that impacted you and, and, yeah. and how, why you're doing this. Well, let's start here. As we saw yesterday, there was an incident where there was a gun reported at the Highland park high school. They had to shut down all the North shore high schools. And obviously for the people in the local community, especially those that have students in the schools, it was very traumatizing um, because it certainly brought up a lot of bad memories. And trust me, there were 3,000 people at that parade. A lot of people in the Highland Park community mm -hmm. and surrounding areas are certainly traumatized. So my aspect, uh, or what should I say, uh, my, my role in it, if that's, uh, I can't think of a better word, is I wanna continue to raise awareness that there are people still suffering. And we, you know, as a community, uh, particularly as somebody who lives in Highland Park, it's our job to continue to support those who, who are in need. Um, and I've been happy and proud to do that. So when we came to decide to do the NWA in Highland Park, I haven't, you know, since I bought the NWA five years ago, I've, I've never done anything in Chicago. I thought it was fitting to bring it to Highland Park and try to bring some happiness and some joy, because at the end of the day, that's what wrestling's about, is to put some smiles on people's faces. So we're doing actually uh, four events over three days on uh, uh, Thursday the 6th. We have a, a meet and greet and a question and answer with Tyrus and Medusa both have books out. That's at my tea house, Phantom Zuzus. Then on the seventh, we have the live pay per view. That event is sold out, but you can watch on Fight F I T E, uh, which you you know is a, is a streaming app. Very easy to order the pay per view. So we'll be live around the world from Highland Park, which is of course a cool thing. Right. And then on the eighth, we're doing two television tapings. I think at two and six. I think two uh, the two o'clock is pretty much sold out, and I think the six o'clock. If anybody wants to go, you can get your ticks at nwatix.com. Very simple to order. Uh, so we'd love to have you there. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. And people like to see the television tapings because they get a sense behind the scenes how we make our television show. Um, and some of the proceeds from these these four events are going to support the community fund. Yeah, it's absolutely great that you guys are doing that. And again, yeah, like you said, nwatixtix.com on Fight for Pay-Per-View gives you a great opportunity to see these NWO events. They're fun. They're exciting. 
you know, as you mentioned, Tyrus and, and Chris Adonis, that is, that is the, the, the headline event, but, but for, for you, for, you know, you, you got in the NWA and, 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 and are, are promoting this, you, you're president and, and all this, you know, obviously there, there's a love of, of wrestling there to want to get into that. So when did, you know, wrestling, when did that love start for you? Was it, was that a childhood thing? I mean, do you remember early WrestleMania with Hogan slamming Andre? No, I'm, I'm, like, I'm old. I'm older than that. Um, I started watching wrestling around 1971 with my great grandmother. Wow. Um, they lived on the, on the Northwest side, my great grandmother and my, my grandfather, uh, he would divorced from my grandmother. So when I was four years old, I ended up living with them. And uh, Saturday mornings, there we were watching local television in Chicago, Dick the Bruiser, The Crusher, Baron Von Raschke, Nick Bockwinkle, Bobby Heenan, of course, anybody who's a Chicago wrestling fan uh, and, and sure. anywhere near my age remembers these great legends. Um, and so that was the first time I thought, what is this crazy thing that I'm watching? And uh, never in a million years could I imagine I'd end up owning the very same company that I used to watch you know, on television, you know, the NWA being a kind of affiliated brand that, that encompassed a lot of the mm -hmm. wrestling. And through the years, not only working in professional wrestling, getting to re meet a lot of the legends that I grew up watching. It's been a cool, cool adventure. But make no mistake. I mean, it is a business. And uh, as we've seen recently with the WWE sale to the Endeavor Group, I think for somewhere in the neighborhood, nine billion dollars, right. <laughs> people are questioning less and less why I've entered the professional wrestling business as a sort of another business opportunity. I certainly love it. And I have to chuckle because oftentimes when I do interviews, you know, the first thing they say is he's a wrestling fan. It's like, yeah, I'm a wrestling fan, but I'm not that big a fan. I, I love the opportunity of bringing back the NWA uh, as a national, international organization, being the oldest brand in the world since 1948. And, and if you think of if anybody knows the history of professional wrestling, you know, what is what is the WWE actually came out of the NWA? What was the AWA out of Minnesota and the Gagne's? came out of the NWA. So I own sort of the parent company of all these great brands. I mean, obviously we don't, we're not affiliated anymore, but I think that's a cool historical thing. And so trying to bring that brand back um, and, and, and do the hustle on the whole thing has been a really interesting journey. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's thing, those, you know, I think a lot of, you know, the younger fans and podcasts, you know, tend to trend to, to younger audiences and, you know, so that they, they may not know the whole history, you know, they know, you know, their history may be, you know, WWE, WCW, you know, in the 90s and things like that. But the, the, the evolution of you when you talk about like that 70s wrestling with those local circuits and, and, and really having those 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 interesting regional brands and, and and how it's developed into this national brand and with, with so many different, you know, offshoots now and and things like you said, like NWA continuing to, to thrive. All, all these years later, it's, it's it's one of those things that if you're old enough to see the evolution and see the continued passion and everything, uh, you know, and, and how it's evolved and changed and, and how it's been a jumping off platform for so many. And, you know, I, you know, I was, you know, going through everything and kind of looking through, you know, the whole NWA roster and make sure I was familiar with everything and seeing, you know, names that I've known in the circuits for, for 10, 20 years. You know, it, it, it's a heck of a product. It's it's fun and it's interesting. And, and the evolution of this industry, not over the last 20, 30 years, but over the last 50 to 60 years, is, is something that I don't know if a lot of younger fans, even of wrestling, uh, quite understand where the sport was and where it is. And it, it's really a fascinating, fascinating world to, to be in. And I, I, I think it's it's fantastic and it's interesting that that you've been able to to dive into this like this and, and do what you're doing with the NWA. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting challenge. You know, um, when I bought the NWA, people said you're you're buying this thing that nobody cares about anymore. And yeah, it, it had its day, but that's over. And now it's all about the WWE. And since I bought the uh, uh, NWA, of course, we've seen the rise of AEW uh, with yep. the Khan family uh, providing a, a completely different take on professional wrestling, or some would say trying to bring back some of the WCW spirit. Uh, that went away when the McMahons bought WCW about 20 something years ago. So look, it's like, uh, how can I put it? Uh, if, if, if I told you I had three great rock bands, would you have room for a fourth or a fifth or a sixth? And, and we start off talking about this great generation of alternative rock bands in the early nineties. There's always room for more great. And so what we're trying to do is bring back more great. And I think when people see what we're doing, very family friendly entertainment, almost kind of more of a mainstream product, uh, which is at times lacking uh, in American television. I think people really appreciate that, that we're sort of historically positioned in a way uh, that is, you know, commensurate with the NWA history. 
Yeah, and let me let me just you know before before I let you go, and I, and I appreciate so much time. Uh, I you know this is uh, you know a Chicago Bears podcast, and and you got a lot of Chicago sports fans here, and I know I know you are a Chicago sports fan. So just a couple quick ones there before I let you go. The Chicago Cubs winning in 2016. Uh, now, what did that mean for you as a sports fan? I know you're a huge Cubs fan. Obviously, I know that's seven years ago, but I think there's still a lot of Cubs fans just kind of appreciating that. Now, you, again, you, you want to stay at the top. You're not going to sit there and, and rest on your, your laurels that the Cubs won seven years ago. But what kind of impact did that have for you as, as a Cubs fan and as a Chicago sports fan, finally seeing them, you know, for the first in your lifetime, you know, sure. getting that trophy? Well, I was lucky enough to be at the game, and I was sitting 10 rows behind home plate. So I had a perfect seat. Uh, and certainly that game seven uh, might go down as one of the greatest World Series games Absolutely. of all time. So, you know, for the Cubs to win and to see an all-time classic, and by the way, it was a, it was in Cleveland, you know, uh, you know, it, was, it, w- it wasn't exactly a Cub-friendly atmosphere, although there were a ton of Cubs fans. There. That there were. So it was a great moment. But looking back now, and I can't believe you said it seven years already, looking back now, I think the real disappointment is they weren't able to capitalize on that team. Because mm-hmm. when you saw that team win, which was you didn't feel that team was at their peak. They were just starting to hit their peak. The fact that they never really went again, I think, is a, is a crime and a shame. I, I'm not here to point any uh, blame around. Uh, there's probably plenty of blame to go around. But it is a crime, much like the Chicago, uh, you know, the, the the Super Bowl shuffle bears, the 85 yep. bears, that they never won another title. So um, I do like what the management is currently doing, trying to build, I guess, a 21st century style a winning right. uh, baseball franchise um, because as a Cubs fan, anybody who's listening as a Cubs fan knows, you know, we get tired of like the one year and then the seven bad years. <laughs> so, so um, I'd like to see a perennial winner. And when you look around, particularly, you know, as a Cubs fan, you're born to hate the St. Louis Cardinals, but just to use the St. Louis Cardinals organization by contrast, I mean, what a top tier organization that has been year after year after year to put a winning baseball team on the field in what is essentially a small market. So I think sometimes we forget or we get lost in our trauma that we really deserve as Cubs fans a true top tier uh, organization on the office side to make sure that the team that they put on the field is competitive year after year. I think last I remember, and I could be wrong, the Cubs were maybe the fourth uh, richest franchise in all of sports. I think it was like Manchester United, the New York Yankees, and I somehow they think the Cubs were fourth up there, maybe with the Dodgers. So uh, I think as a Cubs fan, we really don't want to hear any excuses. I like the Ricketts a lot. Uh, I, don't, I don't look at it as a personal thing, but certainly we deserve a top tier organization. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And, and and last one for you, uh, you know, Justin Fields. Look, I, I like Jay Cutler, and I, I think a lot of Bears fans like Jay Cutler, but uh, an organization that's been around 100 years, the fact that Jay Cutler, you know, could you could argue is the greatest quarterback in the history of the, the franchise, it, it, a little rough on that in that position over the years. Do you think Justin Fields is the type of quarterback that can finally be that that excellent, you know, elite level quarterback for the team? Well, this, can we if you don't mind me taking a step back, a step back on sure. Jay Cutler, um, I was one of the only people and, and I'm not a sports but I, person, but I, I occasionally, you know, I'll be on like other programs and people want to talk to me about sports. So I'm happy to talk about sports because I love it. I felt that the Chicago fan base ran Jake Cutler out of town way too early. Uh, and and if you know, just like you said, if Jake Cutler could be argued is the greatest, uh, you know, let's call it physical quarterback in terms right. of skill set yep. that the Bears have ever had, we shouldn't have been such a hurry to think we were going to trade up to somebody, somebody, somebody. And as you've seen with the Aaron Rodgers saga in, in, in Green Bay, um, uh, what's the what's the quarterback who was with the Jets? Is Geno Smith, who's now with Seattle? Geno Smith and Seattle. The guy yep. They gave up on, and now he looks like a world beater. I mean, co- look, playing quarterback in the NFL must be one of the hardest things in the world to do. I would have no idea. But let me tell you, the <laughs> other day, uh, not too long ago, I met Boomer Esiason for the first time on his show in New York. Boomer's a big, big dude, and I met him, shook his hand. He's a massive man, right? And I said. You look like an NFL quarterback, meaning that's the prototypical quarterback. Six, six, about 240 can take the punishment. So to Mr. Fields, and as we've seen with, you know, uh, it was an RG3, guys like that. When you have a guy who has that level of skill set, yes, it's impressive. And yes, you know, you marvel at that level of ability. But historically, guys like that get hurt. And as you see in the NFL, 
if you lose a quarterback for one, two, four games out of a season, that might be the difference that you make in the playoffs. That might be the difference of a free agent signing with your team. The NFL is a very mercenary business. There's a lot of acrimony between the players and management because of the level of money that the NFL makes. So, and I understand this from my own side in entertainment. You, you kind of start to get a mercenary mind, you know, uh, look at, uh, oh, is it Odell Beckham? You know, you see guys kind of rotate around. Why? Because they just want to get paid. So to create a winning franchise and build around a quarterback, which anybody in their right mind would be thinking in the back of their mind, is this guy going to get hurt? Could we be having a truly winning season? People are projecting us to go deep in the playoffs and you get to game 11 and he, he does a simple run, goes around and somebody creams him. And that's nothing against Mr. Fields. We're talking about it in light of his, his tremendous skill set. But historically, guys who run a lot get hurt. And he isn't as big as say, a Josh Allen who looks like he can take that level of punishment. So I hope I'm wrong is what I'm really trying to say. And I hope that his skill set endures and that the Bears are able to build around. Obviously, there was talk that he was maybe going to go or da-da-da-da-da. They were going to bring in somebody else to draft. And now they've made their bet. They're going to stick with them. So that's the, the so we can say the upside, but there's the downside that goes with that upside. And I think that's that's difficult uh, if you're a Bears fan. Yeah, it, it you know, it's a, definitely always a concern, you know, any position in the NFL with injuries and how that can, you know, your your season can change on a dime. But, but can I, uh, can Billy, I, 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 but, he, but look at, look at, look, why did Tom Brady play so late in his career? Because around age 30 healthy. something, Bill Belichick decided, I got to go all in on protecting this guy. This guy cannot take, heck, the NFL changed the rules to protect Tom Brady. Because that's how Tom, how valuable Tom Brady was to the NFL. So we don't have to look far to understand that protecting the quarterback is probably the most important duty of an NFL franchise because that's the way they build their their dynasties, right? So if you have a guy who's going to purposely put himself in harm's way because that's the way he plays football, and again, I don't mean it as criticism, right? But right. you have to look at it and say, you're taking a bet there that may not work out in the long term. You might get three years of momentum and you start to think, okay, this is really going to work. And on that fourth year, the guy gets hurt on a very simple play because instead of just throwing the ball away, he decides to go for a 12-yard run and you spend the rest of your life going, gee, I wish he didn't do that one thing. Yeah, no, and look, I, I, I pound the table all, all the time for the Bears to get offensive line and invest, you know, again, Jay Cutler, we were talking about him. You know, he needed an offensive line, and the Bears never gave it to him. It's it's critical for quarterbacks. So I am with you 100% need to need to protect the quarterback. Well, Billy, I could talk to you another half hour, but that's not fair to you. So I know you're off to the, the studio, and you've got, got work to do here with, with, the, with the new album and, and everything you guys got going on. But again, NWA 312, uh, you know, the, you've got the uh, you got Saturday, you have TV tapings, so nwatix.com, and of course the pay-per-view Friday night, April 7th. Billy, I really enjoyed this. Thanks for so much time. Really appreciate it, and, and good luck in the future with everything. Awesome. Thanks, my friend. Talk to you again. All right. How about that? Billy Corgan on the podcast. That was a lot of fun. Uh, it really, really was getting a chance to talk to him a little bit, a little bit about music, a little bit about the NWA, and had to squeeze in some Chicago sports there at the end. Just uh, got caught up with so much stuff. I didn't have enough time to really dive into the Bears and, and the Cubs with them. I'm, look, I'm a White Sox fan. I think I've mentioned that on the podcast before, but I have no ill will towards the Cubs. I, too, was actually able to be at Game 7 there in Cleveland. That was an exciting, exciting game to be at. A lot of fun to cover. I was with SiriusXM at the time, and uh, absolutely was was a blast to be there. And and I, I've always said this, the uh, the Rajay Davis home run that, that tied it up. Now, again, I understand that was an anti-Cubs moment, but that was, I think, the loudest I have ever heard a stadium, arena, anything, ballpark, in the history of my lifetime, music, sports, it doesn't matter. That home run was an electric moment to be a part of. Of course, then, of course, Cubs come back and, and win the game and, and all that goes into it. That was that was a lot of fun just to be there in person and see such a historical moment. I still have the Cubs celebrating on the infield, on, on the photos, on my phone. So that, that, that was very cool. But very cool to talk to Billy. NWA again, make sure if you are in the area and you want to get out there, get some tickets or check out the pay-per-view on Friday, uh, that, that, that should be an absolutely great event. And that, that is a 100% true story. 
for, for me with the Smashing Pumpkins uh, in 1992. So I'm in eighth grade. We're able to score tickets. Uh, myself, my, old, my older brother, who could drive at the time, so it was a couple of my friends, a couple of his friends. We actually were going in two cars. We had a big allotment of tickets we were able to score. And, and we have a chance to go see Guns N' Roses. I mean, this is, like like Billy mentioned, this is heyday Guns N' Roses. This is, you know, heels of appetite. Use your illusion. You know, going right into Terminator 2. I mean, appet- like, like Guns N' Roses was at its peak. We were fired up to be there and just to be trying to get in the park parking lot. And basically security guards are coming to the cars and knocking on the windows and telling everyone to go home. Like we thought it was a prank. We said, no, there's, there's no way this is happening. And, and like Billy said, he's on the stage doing a sound check, getting ready to go on as an opening act. They guys, Smashing Pumpkins was, you know, I don't want to say it was nothing, but they, they, they had not made it. This was pre-Siamese Dream and Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, those two huge albums that put them on the map. Those were a couple years away still. So this this band had not broken out yet. And you hear great story from Billy. He gets, you know, there were two shows at the Rosemont Horizon. He gets to play one. It's a disaster. It's his hometown. They boo him basically off the stage. He has a chance to have a better show, redeem himself, never gets that opportunity. So that that, that was a crazy, cra- crazy moment for me and one one I will always remember but um but that was a lot of fun with billy so you know the wrestling event nwa national wrestling alliance make sure you check it out and for for billy's thoughts on justin fields look you know i don't necessarily agree that running quarterbacks are just all going to get hurt now i understand the longevity of a running quarterback is not going to have the same longevity of, of tom brady it, you know you just you know you can't take hits that's why running backs don't last past the age of 30 you can't take so many hits and play till you're 40 years old. It just, you know, it doesn't work. So Justin Fields is going to have to evolve. And I, I think we've talked about that and we know this. And hopefully this year he's running less than he did last year with hopefully a better offensive line. Ryan Poles, <coughs> excuse me, and um, uh, some some better targets there at wide receiver with a healthy Darnell Mooney. Hopefully Chase Claypool gets his head out of you-know-where. And, of course, DJ Moore, the 100% move of the off season. But look, Billy, Billy wants to keep Justin Fields safe. I am 100% for it. I want the offensive lineman picked at nine. I want another offensive lineman picked in that second group of picks uh, from 53 to 64. So I 100% am with Billy. Let us protect Justin Fields and keep him on the field as much as possible so that's going to do it for bears banter we're going to keep gearing you up for the nfl draft we got some more podcasts on the way stay tuned everybody bear down we'll talk to you soon adios